Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations, Hempsters. This is your Hemptrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp, with Hempware Radio. It's another awesome day in California, and my spirit shining through to bring you the most cutting-edge wisdom, insights, knowledge, and understanding on the industrial hemp movement. Your time is valuable. Your energy is valuable. You are valuable, so I honor you and appreciate you for being with me today and, and tuning in. I'm really thankful to have one of the most courageous hempsters on the planet with us today. Her name is Courtney Morin. She's an attorney and the founder of Earth Law. She's an enthusiastic advocate of agricultural industrial hemp. She's uh, completed the world's first industrial hemp university course, and she's the author of an article on hemp as a biofuel and feedstock. She's produced a, an amazing educational hemp conference during the fifth annual Hemp History Week, uh, which is um, the first week of June every year. So get ready for this upcoming Hemp History Week to, to make hemp history and uh, to celebrate hemp's future. Um, she also has presented on hemp at Seattle's 23rd annual Hemp Fest and uh, Portland's 10th annual Hemp Stock, among many other amazing accomplishments. So without further ado, I'm uh, so thankful to have you on today's show, Courtney. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tyler. It's great to hear you, hear your voice. Right on. So we uh, just have about 30 minutes on today's episode, so hopefully uh, we can get into some juicy knowledge and updates and insights and also share this amazing uh, re-legalization industrial hemp project that you're spearheading. I'm really excited to learn more about it and share with our listeners how they can get involved and, and help support you. Um, but before we start talking about the campaign, if you would share a little bit about your background and what inspired you to get into law and, you know, uh, harmonizing it with industrial hemp. Well, thank you, Tyler. You gave me a fantastic introduction. But yes, I grew up in Wisconsin in, you know, my elementary school is across the street from farms. So I've always had an appreciation for farmers and the hard work that they do every single day. Um, and I went to law school in Minnesota, and during law school, I actually interned for National Normal for Keith Straub, who founded Normal, and worked on a lot of medical marijuana issues. And then I moved to Oregon, where I started working as a criminal defense attorney for medical marijuana patients and, you know, protecting their rights, which is really important. But I also had, you know, a, a passion for environmentalism and, you know, conservation for our earth. So I went back to school. I have a Master of Laws from Lewis and Clark in Environmental and Natural Resources Law, but I focused that whole program on industrial hemp. And my my passion for industrial hemp actually came from reading the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrera. It's an incredible book, just outline, you know, the history of cannabis, all of the uses for cannabis, the environmental benefits, public health benefits. And that just really is what sparked my interest. And so I've tied, you know, my passion for environmentalism and hemp into my career, which I'm really grateful that I'm able to do that. Awesome. So started out with the medical side and because you had a passion for the environment, you saw that representing the industrial side could have potentially more benefit to humanity, although, you know, al- you know allowing people to have their freedom to utilize um, cannabis for recreational or medicinal purposes is valuable. There, there may be more significance to uh, 
re-legalizing industrial hemp. Absolutely. I mean, it's not only benefit to humanity, it's a benefit to the earth itself and to every living species on this earth. Absolutely. Let, let's talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, re-legalizing hemp is a huge thing. I mean, this is not just something that will economically benefit thousands of businesses, millions of, you know, individuals and companies across the planet. But as you mentioned, it'll help every living being, every ecosystem. Um, what are some of the benefits that you have really seen about hemp and hemp's history? What is what it's been in the past for different communities and civilizations that you really, you know, would like to point out or share with our listeners? What gets me the most excited is phytoremediation properties, the ability for industrial hemp to clean up toxins out of the soil, whether that's heavy metals, radiation, uh, pesticides, or fer you know fertilizers, herbicides that have been used in conventional farming. It's just really incredible that a plant that we can grow to produce into thousands of sustainable products can also clean up the soil and provide aeration as it's growing. And, you know, some farmers mm -hmm. have reported that they plant winter wheat or alfalfa or other crops after their hemp crop, and it increases the yield by 10 to 15 percent. How incredible is that? That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's truly a miracle crop. I know God is a miraculous God, and every seed-bearing herb is for our food. But not only can hemp be our food, but it's food for the earth. It's, it's nourishment and medicine for the earth, as you mentioned. So... With regard to the project, you know, I realize there's, you know, been organizations and individuals like Jack Herrera and many others, Chris Conrad and Don Wurtschafer and so many others that have been spearheading this industry and doing amazing things. And, um, you know, what, what do you feel are some of the biggest hurdles that you and your team would have to overcome in order to reclassify industrial hemp? as, you know, a, you know, no longer a Schedule 1 drug. First of all, I just want to say thank you to all the pioneers that have started this movement and just brought awareness to everyone about the value of industrial hemp and cannabis in general and just the opportunities available. I mean, it took very brave souls to start the educational movement on all the opportunities available with cannabis, and so thank you to all of you. And I, you know, just want to pick up that torch and keep leading it on. And, you know, I think a, the biggest hurdle is just education, is just, you know, getting the word out there to anyone and everyone about the true potential that industrial hemp has, the actual benefits it has, clearing up the misconceptions that, you know, have been around for the last 80 or so years, which is, un, you know, it's unfortunate because historically industrial hemp was grown throughout the United States. It was grown all over the world for the last 10,000 years. You know, in fact, the first law in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619 required all farmers to grow hemp. You know, World War II, wow. the U.S. Department of Agriculture launched a Hemp for Victory campaign, encouraging all farmers and 4-H clubs to grow hemp for the war effort. So, I mean, it's just it's just been this last generation or two that has lost the knowledge about the benefits of industrial hemp. And so I think that's really where we start is just getting the word out there. And Hemp History Week is a fantastic program that, you know, has grassroots organizations all over the country hosting educational events, just informing the public about the uses for industrial hemp and the benefits that it can provide. So I think that's, mm -hmm. just, you know, the first, definitely the first step, clearing up misconceptions between industrial hemp and marijuana and what the two, you know, truly are. 
And that is right. what our petition is really all about. What the Relegalized Industrial Hemp Project is all about is clearing up that misconception between industrial hemp and marijuana. Because right now, under federal law, under the Controlled Substances Act, marijuana is listed as a Schedule One drug, meaning it has a high potential for abuse and no accepted medical use in the United States. Now, you know, on the marijuana side, there is debates and discussions about the medicinal value and, you know, whether there truly is, you know, a risk for use and that type of thing and who it affects that type of thing. But on the industrial hemp side, you know, we all know that it's not a drug. It's an agricultural commodity. So the fact that DEA continues to define marijuana as all cannabis sativa as a Schedule One drug is incorrect. It's not based on science. Yeah, it's not based mm-hmm. on science, it's not based on law, it's not based on historical uses in the United States, nor is it based on the definition that Congress has actually provided for industrial hemp under the Agriculture Act of 2014 or the Farm Bill. Exactly. So I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of hemp's history and how it got classified and put under the same umbrella as medical cannabis. But for those that might just be hearing this for the first time, can you share with us how did that all happen? Why did hemp get classified as a drug when everyone knew prior to the reclassification that it was, you know, food and rope and twine? And what what was it that lumped it all together into this class of, of you know, Schedule One drug? Right. Well, I mean, we can go through the conspiracy theories, but, you know, there was yellow journalism campaigns in the early 1900s, you know, confusing marijuana and industrial hemp and the, and the uses and the end, end results from use. And, you know, the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act is actually where the definition first came from. And the language is very similar. There's only a few words that changed between the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act and the 1970 Controlled Substances Act definition of marijuana. And so in 1937, the government put, you know, levied a $1 tax on activities dealing with marijuana. And it wasn't intended for true medical or industrial uses. But over time, you know, that tax just reduced the amount of acreage being produced across the country. In 1957, the last commercial crop was grown in Wisconsin by the Renz family. And then in 1970, when Nixon signed into law the Controlled Substances Act, marijuana became classified as Schedule One, And it's remained there ever since. But now today, mm-hmm. there has been so much scientific and medical research being done that we know that genetically industrial hemp is not marijuana. And so it's time that DEA reconsiders the classification of industrial hemp under the definition of marijuana. Absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about your strategy and, you know, with earth law and and I know you have a group of people that are a part of this campaign to raise funds to go after, um, you know, this goal of re-legalizing and reclassifying hemp. Tell us a little bit more about what your strategy is, what, you know, what you guys are doing exactly and where the funds will be going. Yeah, excellent question. So as U.S. citizens, we have a right guaranteed by the First Amendment to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And the, you know, the Relegalized Industrial Hemp Project team and I believe that the fact that industrial hemp is classified as a Schedule One drug is a, redre- is a grievance that must be redressed. 
And so this right that we have been guaranteed has actually been codified by Congress in several different ways. In the Administrative Procedure Act, it affirms our right to petition for an amendment or repeal of a rule. In the Controlled Substances Act, the Attorney General is given authority to remove any substance from the schedule if they find that the substance does not meet the requirements for inclusion on the schedule. In DEA's own regulations, it states that any interested person may submit a petition to initiate proceedings for the amendment or repeal of any rule or regulation. So we are exercising our rights as U.S. citizens by filing a petition to the DEA to remove industrial hemp from the definition of marijuana. The, you know, the science is very clear and conclusive now about the genetic distinction between industrial hemp and marijuana, which is the difference, you know, the true difference is in intoxicating threshold, whether it's intoxicating or not. If we have marijuana, it has high amounts of THC, which is a psychoactive cannabinoid, and it is intoxicating, whereas if you have industrial hemp, it does not have that high THC, and it actually has more CBD cannabidiol in the plant. Mm -hmm. And so what we're, mm -hmm. we're looking at for intoxication is a THC-CBD ratio. And that is determined by the percentage of THC to the percentage of THC, CBD excuse me, within that plant. So, so a plant with a high amount of THC and a lower amount of CBD has a THC-CBD ratio of greater than one, meaning it's intoxicating in its marijuana. Whereas if it has a higher percentage of CBD than THC, that's a THC-CBD ratio of less than one, it is non-intoxicating and that is and that is industrial hemp. And so some scientists have actually found that cannabidiol can act as an antidote to THC. So we are proposing that the DEA base regulations based on science and this THC CBD ratio, but up to a 1% THC intoxication threshold, because some scientists have, you know, believe that 1% is that threshold level so we would like our regulations to actually be based on science rather than on an arbitrary THC concentration, which is currently right. what the, the definition of industrial hemp is under the farm bill, that 0.3% mm -hmm. THC concentration. Right. And Canada is 0.2%, right? Canada is 0.3%. There's um, some okay. countries in the European Union that have 0.2%, but many countries do have the 0.3%. So in the petition, mm -hmm. we will, you know, as an alternative, propose the 0.3%. We want to ensure our petition is successful, and we want, you know, to enable farmers to have the right to cultivate industrial hemp. And if at this time we can only go for that 0.3, then that's what we'll have to do. But we would like, you know, the discussion to at least be had regarding the THC-CBD ratio and the true science. Because if we're trying to develop an industry that's sustainable long-term, we don't want to start out by having regulations based on arbitrary THC concentrations. We want them based in science. And that's what mm -hmm. we're advocating for. Most certainly. So, so ultimately what this will do is put America or put the United States on the map with all the other 30 plus industrialized democratic nations to to be growing hemp locally on a you know it'll be legalized so once it's legalized uh you know let's say once we are successful with this relegalization campaign federally hemp will be legal meaning 
that anybody across any state can start growing hemp? Or will there still need no. to be state-by-state state action? Yes. So by removing industrial hemp from the definition of marijuana, it would take industrial hemp out of the Controlled Substances Act, so it would no longer be regulated as a controlled substance and no longer be regulated by DEA or the DOJ Department of Justice, but it would default to the states and for their regulations. So any of these 27 states that have legalized industrial hemp, the cultivation in their states would be based on that type of regulation. States would be able to enact full commercial legislation and really regulate hemp as they see fit for their particular state. So so would it be treated like tobacco or would it be treated more like a tomato plant where anyone can just throw it in their garden? It just depends on state law. So in Oregon, we just had House Bill 4060 signed into law two weeks ago. It's a bill that I worked on with the Oregon Industrial Hemp Farmers Association. And our goal was to bring the regulation of industrial hemp in Oregon in line with traditional agricultural regulation. And so for Oregon in the future, you know, it'd be more similarly regulated to a wheat crop, you know, and in other states, mm-hmm. they, you know, they do have some more stringent regulation. So it'll really just be based on state law. State by state. So it'll, it'll be an agricultural crop. It's like growing food, basically. So it'll be regulated in that manner. Right. I mean, and every product would be regulated by the requisite agency. If it's a food product, it's going to get regulated by FDA. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a cosmetic mm-hmm. product, also regulated by FDA. So just the, you know, respective agencies that would be regulating that type of product, whether it's, you know, fiber, paper, cosmetics, fuel. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, with regard to products, uh, I'm curious, what are some of your ideal products or what are the products that you would love to see come to the market made of hemp that maybe are already on the market and you'd like to see more of or products that aren't on the market yet that you would love to see come to fruition? Well, I think just having hemp products on the market in general would be fantastic just to see them, you know, industrial products become more mainstream, see them on every general store shelf. You know, I think a lot of folks just aren't aware of the opportunities or the products that are available that are made from industrial hemp and just getting them out there into common consumption is important. Um, But I'm mostly excited about hemp plastics. I think it's an incredible opportunity for the industry and especially incredible for the environmental benefits. We don't have to have landfills full of, you know, fossil fuel based plastics or our oceans full of plastic residue when we could have a biodegradable type plastic. Mhm. Absolutely. I would love to see that as well for our planet, for sustainability aspects. Um, it looks like we have a caller that's um, calling in. Would you like to take a question from them, Courtney? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see if they're uh, wanting to ask a question. Hi, caller. What's your first name? Yes, my first name is Chris, and I was wondering. If um, I know that hemp is legal, right? Hemp products, yes. So, and we buy them from Canada, right? Isn't all of our hemp coming from Canada? A lot of our hemp's grain is coming from Canada. So, why is it illegal in the first place? 
Well, because it has been classified as marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act, and DEA continues to regulate industrial hemp as marijuana. That's why there was interference with seed importation in Kentucky. So there's been a recent audit of the Tennessee Department of Agriculture. You know, this happened in the 1970s. We're just trying to rectify that problem. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks so much for calling in, Chris. So next question that I'm, I'm curious, just on a more personal level, Courtney, what are some of your greatest inspirations, you know, some of the leaders uh, in the hemp movement that have inspired you to, to keep doing what you're doing? I would definitely say Jack Herrera. I mean, he wrote the book that really inspired me to take this on and to research more. I happened to be taking a plant biology class at the same time that I was reading The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And I wrote about cannabis for my class paper and just continued to verify things that he had in his book and with different scientific studies. And I just couldn't believe the things I was reading. And I just kept verifying and verifying and learning more, which, you know, it's all checked out. And it's just such an incredible plant. I also want to give a shout out to Andrea Herman. She is the professor for the the university course at Oregon State University, and it's a fantastic course. If anyone's looking to learn about industrial hemp, I highly, highly recommend that course. It's an online course. You can take it wherever you are in the world. It's very comprehensive, and, you know, Andrea is a, a hemp heroine for me, absolutely. I mean, she's done incredible mm-hmm. things. So definitely give a shout out to her, David Bronner, for his courageous activism. There's just so many wonderful people that have done so many things leading this industry. And, you know, I, I think there are, there are all a lot of folks that we could all look up to. Most certainly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Such open-hearted, courageous individuals. And it's, it's such an honor to be a part of an amazing community that has a vision to really transform the planet and transform the way we think, the way we act, the way we do business, the way we consume products. I mean, it's completely revolutionary. Um, So what's the most exciting part about your mission and vision? I mean, I know we've talked about so many aspects and we could go on for hours, you know, as far as the benefits of hemp and what it would do for the economy. and you've already kind of touched upon it that the remediation aspects from you know oil spills to fukushima and you know radiation toxicity all these things would you say that's kind of your most exciting or uh, the thing that you're most excited about to see hemp heal the planet absolutely what i'm also excited about is that you know once we do reclassify or, or deschedule industrial hemp from the Controlled Substances Act and give states that authority to open up the door for cultivation within their states, is that we're going to allow U.S. farmers to participate in a global hemp market. You know, as the only industrialized nation that doesn't allow their farmers to commercially cultivate industrial hemp, our farmers are losing out on a, you know, a huge market that they could be participating in using the hemp as a rotational crop to clean up their soils, increase the yields on their other crops. So I'm just excited for the opportunity for our farmers. You know, a lot of folks don't give attention to our farmers, but that's where all of our food comes from. We should just be beyond grateful for the work that they do and why not give them the ability to grow a crop that can help, help facilitate their successful production. 
Absolutely. And really create more abundance, more prosperity, uh, you know, not only in our health, but, but in our, in our banks, in our pocketbook and not having to take out loans and be, you know, debt slaves to these other, other nations and countries, but be able to bring that economy back home, I think is such a valuable key that hemp provides. And I'm definitely excited about that. And, and on that note, um, you and I have been in a couple of hemp fields together, which is just so awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience in visiting these hemp farmers. What are some of the hurdles that they've had to overcome, you know, bringing hemp back to the U.S.? I know we can't just start growing it, you know, for all the different products. There has to be specific machinery and processing equipment. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've seen these farmers may have to overcome or what are some of the hurdles they have to, you know, uh, overcome to, to really get into this? Yeah, some major issues have been seed importation, just the actual ability to obtain seed to have known cultivars planted so that they can have successful crops. That's been a huge hurdle for farmers across the country. And now that we are, you know, getting some genetics here in the United States, it's important to develop processing equipment. You know, a lot of farmers don't have the adequate harvesting equipment. They don't have the processing equipment. We need decorticators. We need, you know, seed presses. We need seed cleaners. We need CO2 extractors. You know, there's there's a lot of things that the whole infrastructure in the United States needs to be developed. But you know, mm -hmm. the market share is there, the interest is there, and the benefits that we will see not only in our economy and for our environment, but overall public health, you know, it's just, I'm excited for what the future holds. And, you know, being in these different hemp fields around the country, it's been really incredible speaking with the farmers. A lot of them, you know, they're very excited to be able to cultivate what's a new crop to them, but that historically our farmers have always grown. I One farmer that I met, the first my very first hemp field I was in, Jake Graves Hemp Field in Kentucky, he, you know, I got to speak with him and he was telling me stories about when he was a little boy and, you know, his stepdad grew hemp and for 12 generations back, that family had grown hemp on that farm. And it was only wow. when he, you know, when he became of age to actually have the farm himself, he couldn't grow hemp because of the laws had changed. And so his whole life, wow. he was not able to grow hemp. And then his son two years ago grew hemp on that same field. And now, you know, after this 70 plus years of prohibition, he's been able to grow hemp again. And he is, uh, well, I believe 88 years old and he was out on the combine cutting hemp down last year just because he could oh something God. he remembered as a little boy. And so it's just incredible oh, to, yeah, it's so incredible just to talk with these farmers and learn about their family history. You know, I have farmers here in Oregon that have, you know, relatives back in the Midwest, and they grew hemp for as long as they could. And, you know, they're just excited to get back into it again. It's a, you Absolutely. know, it's a, a tradition of the United States, and it's important we get our farmers back participating. I totally agree. Well, we just have a little over two minutes left on today's hemp episode. I'm so thankful for everything that you've done, all the due diligence that you're you know, bringing forth. And um, is there a short link or a link that people can go to to support the Indiegogo fundraising campaign? I, I put it in the description of this show. Is, is there a short link? I know it's kind of a long one. 
Yeah, so if you just want to check out tinyurl.com slash relegalizing hemp, that's a direct link to the Indiegogo campaign. We would definitely appreciate if you could make a donation. We're trying to raise funding to bring expert witnesses in to testify on behalf of the petition. Um, you know, any any amount helps. And if you do make a donation to our petition, you have the option of including your name on the petition. So this is your opportunity to get involved. You have a chance to make a difference for future generations. This is your opportunity to tell DEA that you want to see U.S. farmers have the right to freely cultivate industrial hemp. So again, that link yeah. is mm-hmm. tinyurl.com slash relegalizing hemp. We'd appreciate if you could share that on Facebook or any other social media. Just get the word out. Let everyone know that you support industrial hemp and, you know, talk to everyone you meet on the street. Just educate them about the value and the benefits of industrial hemp. And please share the Relegalizing Industrial Hemp Project. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for being on today's show, Courtney. I look forward to seeing you in another hemp field. And go support this campaign. It's the most important thing that you can do today and to make your contribution to make this planet a much healthier, happier, holier, more abundant place to live for not only our generation, but the generations to come. So thank you once again, Courtney. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing as well. It's important to get the word out and encourage everyone to get involved. Most certainly. Have a blessed day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is your... Hempy host, Tyler Hemp with HempAware.com. You can also check all the archived hemp episodes on the iTunes podcast library. Uh, If you have an iPhone or uh, iTunes on your computer, just uh, go to the podcast library and type in HempAware Radio and uh, share it with your friends, your family, get them hemp-educated, get them aware of all the amazing benefits of hemp, and start your own hemp business. Start integrating hemp into your everyday lifestyle or into your company, and you will make the difference that you want to see in the world. Peace out.